His text is Malachi 2, 1 to 9. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your bless and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. This is the word of the Lord. The, uh, the series we're in is we're working through the, the book of Malachi, and we've come to the, um, the portion in the prophet where uh, dung is smeared on faces. Uh, it's, it's a startling text, and it's certainly, here's what you want to do. You want to get ordained and then read a text where uh, people in position of, of, of priest and leadership are, uh, are judged in this way. Uh, it's been quite a week to meditate on this, but I'm grateful for it. Uh, it I, we're, I'm also now at the point where I can't remember some of the stories I've told, so you're just going to have to um, forgive me for that. Uh, I, I know some of you know this. Recently, um, I broke my foot, and I had it healed. It was, I had it healed. It was healed, and I walked in my first day out of the boot, walked out to my uh, front yard to see a hawk that had just killed a rabbit um, in our yard. Have I told this story already? Okay, great, good, thank you. Uh, a hawk had just killed a rabbit in our yard. Um, I love birds. I wanted to walk out and get a get a uh, glimpse of the hawk. And as I sort of slowly walked up the driveway, um, without realizing it, the hawk was was somewhere in the trees. I got between the hawk and its its uh, its killed rabbit in our yard, and the the hawk swooped down, landed on the fence right next to me, and began to to do this and, and make the, the noise that hawks make. Um, and, and in my panic, I stepped back quickly on my just healed left foot and fell right to the ground uh, in a heap of embarrassment. I had the old, you know, remember as a kid, your hands were always stinging and had um, like cuts on them, right? I got, I got a couple of those. Uh, and I re-injured my foot and was back in the boot for a week. Uh, and. And in retrospect, it's kind of funny that it happened, and I laugh about it now. Uh, but 
there is something about falling that is particularly humiliating. Uh, especially uh, when you get older. Uh, I remember as a kid, our kids, I don't know, you know, little kids are always covered in bruises. They don't really know where they got them from. Um, but as an adult, if you fall, you remember that fall. Uh, you probably can remember uh, some of your own falls in life, your own times of st uh, stumbling. Um, because, because stumbling and falling uh, sort of removes all dignity from a person. What a person should be able to do is somehow or another kind of keep their bearings upright. If I do nothing else today, I hope that I don't just fall to the ground. <laughs> That's kind of the one basic thing that I hope to be able to do today. Uh, I can remember walking through our old neighborhood once and seeing a mother walking through with her three young children and tripping and falling on the curb to the ground and, and kind of hurting herself. And she got up and, and sort of immediately just tried to press on and her children were asking her, Emma, are you okay, okay? And she just, she was so embarrassed by it, I think, and so ashamed that she didn't even want to just turn and like tell her kids. She just kept going. You could see clearly she had been hurt. Uh, and so, so we all know what this is like, I think. Uh, we all know what it is to fall. And may, maybe you haven't fallen literally uh, like I did, but we, we certainly know what it is to sort of stumble and fall through life. And uh, we certainly know what it is to, to be on the ground in humiliation in life. And perhaps this morning uh, you've just come off of a fall in some form or another. Or, or maybe you've entered this morning sort of stumbling and you sense that you're on the verge of, of, a, of a fall. Uh, there's, there's a sense I have even for myself this morning. I'm sort of a, a strong breeze and a low curb away from, uh, from being on the ground. Um, but in the passage this morning, we find God, God meeting the stumbling person. Uh, God wants to name the ways that we fall and stumble, but by his grace, he wants to help us walk upright. He wants to help us keep on our two feet. And God does that through his word. God protects us and leads us through his word. And so uh, we're just going to look at, uh, as we walk through this text, we're going to look at it in two ways. First, we're going to look at the, the priestly malpractice uh, when we turn from God's word, we will be led astray, we will fall, we will stumble. Um, and then the grace for us, that, that God's word will lift us up, it will protect us, it will lead us. So first, uh, you can see it's very, it's sort of thundering through the passage, God, God charges the priest with malpractice. Uh, last week, you, if you remember, we, we, we read about how the priest dishonored God by, by misleading the people in their worship, accepting uh, blemish sacrifices. Now in the beginning in chapter 2, the priests are also being uh, called out for turning away from God's word and leading the people astray. And, and first, actually where I want to start is if you look within his charge against the priests, you find that he, he, uh, he paints a picture of what a priest should be. Uh, and it's, it's actually a, more than a, just a job description. Uh, it's more than just your weekly duties. He paints a, a picture of what the priest should be through and through top to bottom, in and out. It's a, it's a, it's a complete picture of, of an upright priest, how they will walk and how they are to, to live and the words they should speak. So if you look, if you jump to uh, verse six, 
the, the priest um, is to speak and live truth in such a way that, that the ministry leads people to repent and to change. It's, it's quite a picture of somebody. Their, their life, their ministry leads other people to repentance and change. Uh, then, then continuing in verse 6, they're to walk as though they are walking with God in peace and righteousness. Walking with God. Walking with God as Adam and Eve walked with God. There's, there's an intimacy with the Lord that a priest is to have. Verse 7, the priest should guard knowledge. Uh, guard knowledge. This word is like, like a soldier guards a post. The priest is to guard knowledge vigilantly. So what, what, like um, the words are used with care and caution and the teaching of scriptures are tended to with diligence and reverence. Uh, priest, continuing in verse 7, a priest is to live and minister as a messenger of God. There's a certain authority then that the priest has. Uh, this is a very unusual, there aren't many people uh, outside of angels that are described in, in the scriptures as messengers of God. Here, a priest has the, this authority, uh, this calling to be a messenger of God. And all these things, what is a priest to be? A priest is to be a blessing to the people a blessing to God's people. Uh, it's, it's actually quite literally of the priestly blessing that uh, a priest receives and is to give to the people from, from number six. Uh, you, you, you're familiar with it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So by the life they lived and the truth they spoke, the priest is to represent to the people that God would protect them and God would lead them by his word. So that's, that's the picture of what a priest should be. But of course, the priests in this time and the time of Malachi are failing at this. They're forsaking their duty. Uh, verse eight, there's the turn. But you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. The priests have turned from what's the way? God's word, God's instruction, the, the way is often used in Scripture as a way to describe wa walking and obedience to God in, this, in a way. His word is a lamp unto our, feet, unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so as a community then, they've, some have been led astray. The, the community itself is sort of stumbling about as a result. Uh, and, and you get a little bit of a deeper picture. You see verse 9. It says some of the priests were showing partiality. Uh, to some over others. It's not entirely clear what, what, what the form of the partiality that is. Um, but there is, whatever the case may be, whether they were showing favor to maybe the, the more well-off and influential and richer of, of the people, uh, we don't know. But, but, but here's, here's one thing that we do know. What it does tell us is that the priests misleading the people um, is a corporate act. For partiality to work, you have to have a group of people who are willing to give you a benefit by being partial to them, right? So uh, it doesn't work if the people have integrity and they say, no, 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 we don't, want your, we don't want your partiality. No, the people are complicit on some level or another. Uh, it's not all on the priests in that regard. They're using their power, certainly, to manipulate, but the people are then, are then responding. And so it's, it's not only a, a, an issue before God, of course, that's, that's where all things begin, but it's also an issue then the community itself, uh, horizontally, their relationships are, are, are frayed. 
And so then, so then it, it, we kind of working backwards here now. What's the, what's the consequences of their failure? We see in verse 2, God says, I will curse your blessing. Verse 3, I will rebuke your descendants in the NIV. Uh, the word is, is sometimes translated as offspring, and it can be, mean both your literal, uh, your descendants, your children. It could also refer, strangely enough, to um, your livestock, your, your, um, the, 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 the flocks that you have. So there's a curse both in some sense on the family and on the blessing of your family and on your well-being in the present, on your wealth, um, on your sustenance for, for life. I will curse your blessing. I will curse your descendants. Uh, and, then, and then shockingly, as I referred to, uh, this would be one of those, did you know this verse was in the Bible? Um, I, would spread, I will spread dung on your faces. Uh, the word... Uh, it, the, the word is kind of a reference to, it's not kind of, it is a reference to uh, all the unclean internal organs and the dung of an animal. And it's used, if you look it up, where else is this used? It's used elsewhere in the law to say, these are the things when an animal is sacrificed, you remove and take out of the camp. They are not to be uh, in, in the tabernacle. They're not to be in the, the, the temple. They're the unclean things that would be removed and taken away um, disposed of outside the camp. So the language of the prophet, and th this, is, this is what the prophets do, by the way. They want to shock you into being alert and awake to what God is saying. The language is intentionally, uh, intentionally uh, hyperbolic and metaphorical to say, wake up to what you're doing. Dung will be on your face if you don't change your ways. Uh, the priests need to know and hear how repugnant the consequences of what they're doing truly are. Um, how, how they're leading away from true teaching of God's word. They're leading, if you compare what does God say about his, his covenant, his agreement with, with Levi versus what the priests are doing. What, what the priests are doing now are leading the people toward death and trouble and dishonor rather than life and peace and awe of God. And so God says, you're using what I've made to be a blessing as a curse. And you can see the, the quote there I have from, from Matt Harmon, uh, who's actually um, pastor at uh, Liberty Mainline. He's written, written a commentary on Malachi. Uh, he said, when the priests invert their priorities, God inverts the result of their ministry from blessing to curse. So, so where do we see this then? How does this come to our world today? Uh, I, sadly, I think we don't have to make much of a leap uh, in trying to find where, where is this present in our history and in, in, our, in our country today. Uh, I, I, there's a helpful reminder to remember, to remember the past. Uh, we, we, the church in America, uh, likewise, large portions of the church in America have, uh, have over the history of this country misled the people of God by abusing and twisting its word. Uh, the church in America justified and wielded God's word to justify slavery. The church in America wielded God's word to justify segregation and racial violence, racial violence for, for generations in our country. We, we know intimately in this country the consequences of God's people not caring for and guarding the word, and the priests, the leaders of God's church, not shepherding their people according to the word. 
And, and we, still feel the, we, we still feel the effects of that today, very much so. The very people that were called to proclaim freedom for the captives use that word to justify brutal captivity. And, and, and it's not a thing of the past either. Um, today, sadly, I think I could ask any one of you, you could probably name off the top of your head two or three leaders or preachers or, or pastors in your own life or certainly that you've heard of through um, the lovely avenue of social media uh, who have had public failings, who have led their people astray, who have taken the blessing of God's word and wielded it, wielded it for their own purposes. And, and the shockwaves that that sends out uh, into the church um, and into the community are very real, and we know them and we feel them today. And it does seem that, uh, that the path that we walk in of faith as Christians today um, seems to be sort of littered with, with wounded Christians. It seems to be littered with, um, and I don't, littered, I don't mean in a, in a demeaning way. I mean, I mean throughout. It is, it is full of, there, there are many along, along the edges of our path that have been Christians who have been shamed, um, pastors who have been canceled, and then, and then the, the many others who have then hence left the faith as a result and completely walked away. And so I, I raise all that uh, to say it's appropriate. The scripture gives us times and moments to, to look straight on at, at the, the sin and the consequences of that in our midst um, and, to, and to lament over it. You, it. It is right and good to be sad and lament the smell of, of excrement and dung that, that hangs over some of the work of the church. And we shouldn't pretend like it's not there. Uh, so so how, how does this, just, just by way of sort of closing out the, the continued... <laughs> descent into the, the ugliness of, of where this passage leads us. How do we get there? What, what are the seeds that cause that to happen? And, and, and here I just want to make the, the leap from not only does this passage then address people like myself, people in formal leadership, but, but also it, it addresses all of our hearts. We, we, all, we all misuse and mishandle the word of the Lord. We all wield it for our own purposes and, and stumble as a result and lead others to stumble. So how, what, what are some of the ways that happens? Uh, there, there are many, but I would suggest one. One of them is, is that it's easy, it's very easy to become captive to the Western story of salvation. And, it, and basically at the bottom line, it's this. We are the ones who will make all things new. We will be the ones who will provide for our families. We will be the ones who protect our homes. We will be the ones who will make our community safer we will be the ones who will build a flourishing life. And, and see, that sounds sort of nice in a sense, but the problem with that story is that within it, uh, within it, God's word sort of becomes, uh, doesn't sort of, God's word becomes a finished story. Uh, the word of God becomes sort of consumable within my larger story, within the Western world's larger story of making all things new by our own means. I recently had, had a, somebody who uh, graduated recently um, tell me that, that she believed she had learned all she could from the word of the Lord. 
And, and I, I lamented that even as I realized that that's actually sort of a function of, of, of some, so one of the, the salvation story of the Western world. We, we sort of, we've consumed the word, we've got all we can from it, and now we're ready to go on to, to, to other things. And that happens when you believe that God is no longer the main actor in the world. God is no longer speaking through his word. And when you believe that, then it just simply becomes sort of an instrument, another piece of your puzzle. The scriptures become disenchanted. God does not speak through them to us, in a sense. God no longer speaks. And his word in, a, in that story is not living and active. And here's, here's a metaphor that has convicted me this week as I've thought about this. When, when I live on my own strength and on my own wisdom, it's a little bit like I've just put God to bed. I've treated God like kind of like a child that I put to bed, and now I'm ready to carry on with the rest of my evening. Parents, can you relate to this? We all know what that's like when the kids finally get in bed. Now I'm ready for like my, my true rest of my day. <laughs> I mean, I, I say that with affection. Kid, we, need, we, need, we need rest, parents, all right? But, but, but the idea of like, God is, God is such in my life that he's somebody that I, I use as an instrument and then I put him to bed and I carry on with the rest of my life. And we, we sort of take on this soft moralism where we silence God and then that ripples out through our life and, and it becomes a community problem because then we live our lives as though God is, in, is, is asleep in bed. And that's the God that we reflect to other people. And that's the way that we treat God's word. It's, it's something that we wake up from time to time and then we put back to bed. And, and I just don't, don't miss this. The Bible does speak about how the world, the flesh, and the devil are at us um, and, and are prowling around trying to devour us. But here it's the flesh within the church that is leading people astray. our forsaking of God's word and believing that he speaks. So, brothers and sisters, where's the grace in this passage? Where's the hope? There's good news here. Uh, in just a couple ways, God protects and leads us, uh, lead his people by the truth of his word. Um, he does do that. What, how does that happen? So, firstly, there's, there's grace right in the passage for the, the people Malachi is speaking to. Uh, and, I, and I've sort of referred to it. God, God names the disastrous, disastrous impact that this activity is having on the community. His word brings protection. His judgment is to protect the purity and the sanctity of the temple and the priesthood. It reminds the people that just as dung and the priest should not be brought together, so selfish ambition and the teaching of God's word should be kept apart. And you've all experienced this. This, this, is, this is protection for the people, the smell of the bad consequences in their life. It's a good thing. It protects them. God has created all things by his word, and by his word he tells us the truth about himself and what is required to live an upright life before him. And part of that then is naming what is good from what is bad, from what, what is true from what is false. And, and I, I just, for my own, I'll just say this again and, and think on this in your own life. Um, 
I, when I look back on some of my greatest mistakes in life, the, the moments when I have stumbled the most severely, when I look back on my, my sin patterns from this past week, here, here is where Malachi brings grace. How I would long to be able to taste the bad fruit in that moment. I would long to be able to know that I'm eating from the pig trough in my life that would have kept me from those errors, that would break me from those bad patterns that I have. So you see, when God names them, when he draws our attention to it, it's grace, brothers and sisters, it's grace. And, and, then, and then he leads the people of Israel uh, by illuminating the path ahead. Notice in verse four, he says, because of my rebuke, you will know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant may continue with Levi. That God's desire is that they would then continue with him. That's, that's the hope. That's the goal of calling them out. Continue with him. That they might be restored. That's actually, that's, that's the testimony of the whole prophet. That's where it's all going. So that you might walk with me. So that you might be restored. So that they might proclaim. Listen to Psalm 119, uh, 71 through 74. This is what God intends. That he's, he's showing them the way to go forward. The way to walk with him. The psalmist says, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. The law from your mouth is more precious to me. He start, it was good for me to be afflicted, he says. And then verse 72, then he turns and says, the law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Your hands made me and for me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me. For I have put my hope in your word. I have put my hope in, it was good I was afflicted. And now, in steps forward, I now say I put my hope in your word. I know, Lord, that your laws are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. That, so there's grace there from Malachi. Um, there's more grace. There's more grace here, brothers and sisters. Uh, we know that by ourselves, we cannot live an upright life. I, I can't say what the psalmist said by myself. I can't say it was good I was afflicted, Lord, by myself. I will fall short each and every day, each and every week. I will continue to defile that which should be made clean. I will continue to forsake God's word, and I will lead others astray by myself. So what this text points to is we need a perfect priest. We need a perfect priest. We need a perfect priest who will intercede for us. And so the good news is that the whole of the scriptures, the whole of this prophet is pointing to a perfect priest. It's all anticipating and longing for Jesus Christ, our perfect priest, our perfect high priest. Jesus was never partial. He confronted the wealthy and the influential. He was gentle and gracious with, the, gracious with the repentant, the poor and the outcast. Jesus always walked in reverence before his father. His instruction was true and he brought life and peace and he led many to repentance. And then bearing our curse, Jesus, Jesus himself was removed from the temple Jesus himself was taken outside the city gates to a place of shame and defilement, and he took 
our shame. He took the, 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 the smelly, horrible consequences of our sin upon himself and separated it as far as the east is from the west. And today in this moment, Jesus is your high priest. Jesus is interceding on our behalf in this moment. And he's teaching us through his Holy Spirit, making us more like himself, leading us in an upright life. And so when you come to Jesus, when you come to this perfect word, as the scriptures call him, he will lead you and protect you through all things. He will, he will come to you with his word and he will meet you where you are. God meets us on the road. So for those of you stumbling in dis disillusionment with the word of God this morning, for those of you discouraged and disheartened about the church, if the things that I recount recounted sort of ring in your ears as yes, I, I'm, I'm, that's where I'm at a lot of the time when it comes to the church, Jesus will meet you with his word. He will meet you as you walk on the road, as those disciples walked on the road to Emmaus. What did Jesus do on the road to Emmaus? He met two disciples so discouraged in their faith because they thought Jesus was dead. And Jesus met them there with his word on the road to Emmaus. In his word, God will meet you on your road to Emmaus, if that's you this morning. Perhaps in, in your own life or in people's life around you, there are those who are on a different road. Um, there are people who are, who are walking a road of rebellion. There are people who are walking a road of self-righteous rebellion against God. God met the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus with his word. If somebody in your life is in that road, it was an outright rebellion from the church, you can pray knowing that Jesus meets us on the road to Damascus. He meets people who are walking away from him and are actually intent upon destroying the church. God meets those people by his word and leads and protects them. And so just as by way of closing, um, just a couple of encouragements for how, how then, how then do, you, do you know this this week? Uh, it begins by, by, by acknowledging that we ourselves are unable to walk a life of wisdom and holiness that, God's, that God requires. Um, and, and there's sort of a general sense in which modern busy people are sort of like, yeah, yeah, life is hectic. I don't know how to handle it. Uh, and that's, that's, that's right, and I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. There's a deeper sense here that this passage calls us to. Uh, I am fundamentally lost without God. Even the good things I have, I will use for evil. And God wants to, that, that's how you come to the scriptures. God wants to speak to you by his word. His word is living and active. It's a treasure for you to guard. It will, it will revive your soul. Um, I, I'll just tell you one way in which this has happened for me. Um, I have spent uh, the last couple of years just staying in John 1 and 2. And one way that you can treasure the word in your life and see God meeting you in it is to spend a lot of time in one place and actually stay in that place in prayer. I've spent many hours over the past couple years with, uh, with John the Baptist, hearing him proclaim the Lamb of God who takes away from the sins of the world. God has met me there. He's met me there, and I've, I've lived a lot of 
It feels like a lot of hours standing next to John the Baptist, hearing him proclaim that. How is that translated out of my life? People's opinions of me have begun to shrink. The louder I hear John the Baptist proclaiming, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The scriptures have, have guided me and given me life and helped me rethink the way I, I move and live in relationship as I've spent time there. Spend time in the word, brothers and sisters. Stay in it. Pray through it. And the word of the Lord will, will meet you. And then, and then lastly, um, and the, the worship team can come forward. Uh, how then, as we turn back and think about how are we priests for other people, I think uh, just one, one way to think about this is that um, we lead in the way that we have been led. We minister to others with the word the way we've been ministered to. And so we meet people where they are with the word. We don't wield the word for our own purposes. We don't use the word as a hammer. We consider how has God met me with his word, and that then is the way we are priests for other people. God has met me gently and carefully and in the place that I am with his word and bit by bit, day by day, has made me more like himself. And this then is the way we are priests for other people in your life. God has not given you an instrument to make people change the way you want them to change. God has not given you a hammer to smack down people who you disagree with. God has given you his word so that you can then, in the same way, meet other people with his word. That's... That's, um, as, as your pastors, that's certainly the way we want to minister and lead before you. Um, and Angela and I talk a lot about that, that we want to meet people in the, only in the way that God has met us and minister out of that goodness and grace. Let me um, just close in prayer uh, with the prayer of, uh, from last week. Would you just pray with me? This is a prayer from Ignatius. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, my entire will. All that I have and call my own, you have given it all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Mm -hmm. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Mm -hmm. Amen. Let's stand and sing.